0: Good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through. Puts on the step again. Oh, go Freddie. That was magnificent stuff. Well, they shall not believe them. Marshall skips away. Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats. over.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast that drinks too many coffees during the day, ruins every toilet bowl it attends throughout the day, and mixes a few espresso martinis after dinner. We are a pre-recording, loosely defined excuse of a podcast live from the Sports Best Friend Studios. I'm your host, Big T, of Hume. Views of my own. On the show today, Mario's Big Hair Energy After the Weekend. We talk to Luke Diamond Phillips about his thoughts, retired players raging and ragging on current players, concussion court case, and we upgrade the Dally M Awards. First, a man who's still on a wild Shiraz bend, poorly timing South African accents <laughs> into jokes. Please excuse Xander Rizzo Risotto's absence. Expertly timing his love and forgiveness to Dez Hasler. It's Mario Mizzo Siegs. How are you, Mario?
2: I'm doing great. Lifelong Des fan, as you know, never doubted him for a second.
1: <laughs> Des Hasler walks into your local, which we know is in in town, which you don't often go to for whatever reason. <laughs> see, sees you in a, sees you in a, uh, uh, sees that you are a manly fan due to the way that you are carrying yourself and you know the expression on your face. And and once your insights into the season, how do you respond to Des?
2: Pick cusp. cust you fucking stupid old prick but yeah i love you
1: <laughs> so similar to how you tweaked your wife so, you know make more custard you. and uh finally a man who timed the birth of his son uh, in the same year he'd given up on pbl ball eamon bizzo brown how are you sir
3: mate i am stellar thank you t oh. good to be here
1: uh okay and uh what time this weekend did you Batuta advocate your scarves on friday
3: for the listeners, who might not be aware, uh, there was a bit of a, a joke article going around that uh, it's now the time for the Roosters to dispense with their fake fandom of the club and start supporting the Wallabies. Uh, look, to that, all I can say is obviously that's rubbish. Uh, not because the Roosters were deplorable this year or anything, but no one in their right mind would ever support the Wallabies. Big shout out to Xander Rosato,
1: who's moved, I'm sure, onto a rugby union winning podcast, and he's you know really enjoying his time there at the moment. But You mentioned my son, and I
3: thought it was a good segue here to mention a bit of a story. I was just thinking about it today. It's not really a story. It's more of an observation. But, um, you know, I've noticed his way to get fed at the moment because he's four months old, so um, he's still on the breast milk. But his way to get fed at the moment is to literally just start pouring at my wife's boobs. That's how she knows that it's time, right? He gets quite aggressive and just starts grabbing there. And I remember thinking for a while ago, that's quite cute, isn't it? And then I thought, I hope I'm not raising a little Weinstein Mm. Is that oh, a I just
2: thought in your mind
3: <laughs> you know i just i hope i hope he's not some kind of sexual deviant i hope it's just for the milk yeah you know and um anyway, i just thought i'd share that with you because it was
1: she's little- of age and yeah. consensual though so it should be okay can i also just ask quickly are manly fucked Bizzo? are
3: they fucked no i think they're going to make the grand final mate um mm. i think they'll beat South next week and uh Look, I think it's obviously a tough form guide, isn't it? Because they play, you know, a non-team. I mean, they talk about having a week off, but both teams <laughs> have had the week off. No, that's what's going to be interesting about next week. I do think uh, Manly just have a little bit more skill than South. So I think South are getting there on pure guile and, and Wayne Bennett's effort. Um, but I think when it comes to the prelim, I'm going to back Manly in in a tight one.
1: Now, Mizzo, before I ask you, I want to pose it to you like this. How likely are you to be rest faulting next week on a scale of Parramatta last weekend to Canberra Grand Final
2: 2019? Uh, well, I rest faulted a lot this weekend and I didn't. I didn't go down the rest fault angle in 2019, so probably much closer to this weekend than 2019 Grand Final.
1: And you're feeling confident. You still. Feel, I know you both said that you'd probably beat Sass. You still feeling that way?
2: Ah. Oh. I think the week off will help South, but, you know, as was just said, we've kind of had a week off because that game was probably a good training run for us, probably, you know, didn't tire us out too much, no injuries. So if anything, we'll be just as fresh from it pretty much. So they still don't have Luttrell. And the fact that the storm shut down Tommy doesn't mean that um, South can, Who, who knows? It, I, I I genuinely do think we can win, and I will be tipping us to do so. But regardless, you know, I'll be cheering for either team against the Storm, obviously.
1: Mm. And uh, can I also suggest to you that although the other game uh, was was enjoyable and, and a fantastic finals game and the kind of football that Eamon's been begging for all year, my favourite moment still of both games was was seeing sub-storce <laughs> run down the sideline until his bench was lighting up like an NBA bench and then he had the most adorable smile on his face. Were you just absolutely also losing your trousers at that time?
2: Oh, I I was jumping up and that was another time last on Friday that my wife had to yell at me, kids, shush! You know, you know I'm like, oh, crap because I, I cheered as, uh, I was like, pass the sub, pass the sub, pass the sub go, 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 oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
3: can I just say that it's, it's certainly a testament to how slow Matt Icavalu is that uh, Saad had the opportunity to stop and sort of have a bit of a form, informal chat with his bench before scoring that length of the field try
1: yeah he did no three or four individualized high fives with a whole bunch of different ones yeah at one point I think he signed a few autographs it was <laughs> quite embarrassing yeah we could keep smashing uh and when we won't we'll we'll move on and and we're we're a podcast that likes a little bit of niggle but we know that in the world of rugby league there is a lot of court talk there's a lot of trash talking uh on the field but there isn't often a lot of it on the radio or television per se but recently they have started to pop up a bit uh girdler calling out manly saying that what well, you guys are making comments then about how it wasn't really a game and he was suggesting that manly only only win when it's not really a game um smith and and Matty Johns both suggested that Cleary's become a bit boring or predictable. Bizzo, you seem to be the kind of guy who would love this kind of stuff. How are you feeling about all of this chat?
3: Well, let's let's start with with Mel, with Melbourne and Cameron Smith, shall we? Because I think talk about the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, Melbourne, for most of his career, uh, were just boring incarnate. They invented obviously the wrestle. They took it to new levels, slowing down the game. If anyone wants to watch the the 2012 Grand Final again. You can't because the NRL refuses to sell it or view it because that's how boring it was. <laughs> In fact, they played a team called the Canterbury Bulldogs. People listening at home might be familiar with that club. But they had a guy called Ben Barber, whose name shall not be mentioned for obvious reasons. But he was having quite a big year that year. Uh, very exciting. Uh, it was a you know he dominated virtually every match, and Melbourne strangled him out of the game. Why? Mel- why Cameron Smith has the ability to, you know, call another team boring is beyond me because it's certainly very hypocritical.
1: Wouldn't he be the best person situated to do it then from all the things you said?
3: Well, he would know what boring is, uh, but he shouldn't certainly accuse another team of being boring in that pejorative sense. If he'd said, geez, it was great to see Nathan Cleary boring <laughs> on the weekend. Geez, he's the chip off the old Cameron Smith block. Then it might've actually made a whole lot more sense. But he said it in a way that was sort of denigrating and you're like, well... Cameron, you sort of invented the concept of, of boring, I think.
1: Now before I'm trying desperately to keep Mizo off this because he's, <laughs> he's I'm sure chomping at the bit to have a crack at Cam Smith, but I'll also put this to you, uh, that it's it's in fact ridiculously shit rugby league media clickbait crap. And in fact, what he said was Nathan Cleary's kicks became boring in that game and extremely well placed and into corners and he managed the game really well. And so he used the word boring as it went from attacking kicks to like a Game management kicks.
3: Well, I read I read the quotes too, T. I think if you read them in their entirety, it, it, well, he wasn't he wasn't complimenting Nathan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was saying that he he should have used more tools in his kit bag, and instead he played a very reserved game. Uh, maybe it was an effective game. I, you know, it turns out. I mean, they won. I think as a as a person as a viewer, you just want to see that, I guess. But of course, if you're the coach, you just want to win, um, and maybe that was the strategy to just in a game like that, which you know, basically was warfare, uh, maybe pulling out all the the different tools wasn't the play. He doesn't have every tool in his kit
2: bag because the biggest tool in rugby league is Cameron Smith and he's not in Cleary's (laughs) kit bag.
3: You couldn't keep him out of the convo, T. Interrupted
1: before I brought him in. Mizo, what are you thinking?
2: It's it's interesting talking. to <laughs> you talk about the way the Storm, you know, slowed the game down and everything. And definitely not refs folding round one that Manly got flogged by the Storm. We got flogged. No arguments. But that game had the slowest play the balls of any game this whole season. What a coincidence that the Storm were involved. What a coincidence. Um, as for calling... Nathan Cleary boring or even implying that anything there is boring. The Panthers haven't been as exciting the last six, seven weeks as they were, but that's more in my opinion, to do with Luai not being, um, not having played as well. And with them keep continuing to pick people like Charlie Staines on the field, who's just garbage. Um, As for Manly being flat track bullies, that's, it's kind of a stupid argument because when we play, when we beat Parramatta both times, we flogged them. They were in the top four. They may not have finished in the top four, but that's literally only because of the two games they they got flogged by Manly. Yeah, and look, and
3: just to add to that, look, I, I should qualify as well. The Storm are no longer boring. I'm talking about the, the yeah, Cavaliers. yeah,
1: yeah.
3: Of course, they are far from boring now, and that is that is a testament to how good their coach is, Craig Bellamy, because that's that that team has bit- evolved and moved to reflect the rules and reflect the nature of the game. He's always learning and improving. So he's a great coach. Um, Our manly flat track bullies. I mean, look, they haven't beaten the top teams when they've played them, but geez, they've been in the games for the most part. When I've I've seen them play, the last time they played, uh, well, even during the season when they played Penrith, I think it was out in uh, one of the country towns. It was a a couple of different bounces of the ball. They beat Penrith that day.
2: South Um, as well.
3: Yeah, exactly. They've been in games. So... To say that they're flat-track bullies is, I think, a fairly absurd characterization because, as we know, this competition has a huge drop-off after the sort of sixth team. So everyone's a flat-track bully. There have been huge scores. This year. If you're if you're in the top six playing anyone outside of that, you're going to smash them, basically. And if it's not a smashing, it's weird and it's odd. Mm. Um, so that, that term has almost lost a bit of relevance. So Manly, not flat-track bullies because they've actually competed and played well when they've played the best teams.
1: Now, I will also just add um, with so much joy that I'm going to correct Mario because you mentioned, Mario, that you got pumped by Manly in the fir- uh, sorry, by Melbourne in the first round. And, of course, I, I had a funny thing that wasn't true because I have a premonition that the first game of the season, which was the Storm versus Rabbits, is actually going to be the last game of the season. And I wanted to check with Andrew Arrapoof that it had ever happened before, which is why we checked. And, of course, you got pumped by the Roosters in round one. Um, and so it wasn't Manly at that time, but I also wanted to bring that up because that would be nice for Eamon, remembering that you were good for a period of time before everyone died in well, your team.
3: I was off my tits in Newcastle watching that game. That was a fun <laughs> day. Um, and, and Mario, I'm sure I don't know where you were watching it, but it doesn't, matter. it doesn't really matter. Wherever you were watching it, I'm sure you were
2: very angry that Dylan Walker was wearing the number one jersey. Oh, yeah. Yes because he was fucking shit. Every game he's ever played in the number one jersey for any team, he has been the worst. And the the, the best example is the one I've mentioned on this podcast before was when he played for, there for Souths and got absolutely ragdolled for about 30 metres by Corey Oates, a guy who no longer can even make first grade most of the time, mind you. But I guess that's because <laughs> Kevy is apparently better at recognising Who's fucking shit and should be in reserve grade than Des Hasler is because he keeps picking Dylan Walker.
3: <laughs> See, I've got another one for you, mate. Can you check this one with Andrew Ferguson? Has a single has a team in one season ever gone from such a bad fullback to such a good one? We're talking <laughs> Dylan Walker to Tommy Turbo. Has that ever happened since 1908? Mm. I'm going to barrack for no. Mm.
1: Uh, mine's not very funny. Mine was going to be there's a chance that Daly Messinger played fullback and at one stage they would have had some farmer who was playing fullback and then he would have come back from an injury. But other than that, I can't imagine that we would have had one with such a big such a big scale. I, I
2: asked I asked Andrew RLP a question on Twitter this week. I said would Des be the first coach ever if he were to win this grand final to oh yeah to win a grand final with a team, leave that team for another team, then come back and win another grand final with that same team. And it turned out no there was some guy whose nickname was Pony, can't remember the rest of it.
1: Oh, the, yeah. Uh, back in
2: uh, about the 30s or something who did it. Holloway. Somebody called Holloway. Yep. He, so he did actually do it. Was he East coach, I think they said?
1: I don't remember that. I just know
3: his name. I, I enjoyed the fact that, you uh, go, I think his name was Pony. And T goes, oh yeah, I know Pony. <laughs> yeah. No one knows fucking pony, mate. No one's called
1: Pony. But then <laughs> then you can't know pony. That's how I would know it because first of all, I never remember anyone's name. So I needed I needed Mario to at least to be half of it. And then there's only one person I've ever known called Pony, and it was I'm gonna go with Gary Pony Holloway. Um now speaking of unusual names and, and unusual positions, there's been uh that court case, James McManus has had his concussion con- compensation case against the NRL club in Newcastle settled in favour of the Knights. Bizzo, what did you make of this?
3: Well, I think I probably speak for a lot of rugby league fans where there's sort of a dichotomy here, right, where you feel, on the one hand, very sorry for anyone that's suffering any effects of playing the game when it comes to concussion. but And then in that kind of really self-interested narcissist side, you're like, Geez, it would be a terrible legal precedent though if if he was successful with that case. So clearly it throws a lot of the other pending cases into a little bit more shade on whether or not they'll be successful. And so the NRL are probably on the plus side there when it comes to litigation. Um, But, you know, every every case has to be treated on its merits. I keep saying that over and over again, despite what the Twitterati says. Um, So there could be other cases that come along where there simply wasn't due diligence done by a club, for example, um, who, who just you know took unnecessary health risks with a player. I can't comment on the James McManus case if that's happened. It seems as though the courts said, suggest he hasn't presented enough evidence to suggest that has happened in the past. Although when it comes to Newcastle and Murray, you'd probably remember this, they have got some form on the board for pushing players through the pain barrier. Big shout out to Nathan Ross, who was told to jog it off when he said his stomach fell through his anus. Um, now that oh. seems to be a little bit... On the rough side, um, again Nathan Brown is, is a tough man, but when you stop feeling your own testicles and they've gone numb, I think the players' welfare's got to come to the surface.
1: Shout out to Mickey Minaj as well, Mizzo, yeah. uh, What's your vibe on the James McManus thing?
2: Uh, I, I feel really sad for him. Uh, I'm I worry that he's got he might have a whole bunch of issues that he really needs help with, and I, I hope that the club aren't spiteful. And I hope that they are still offering him some sort of assistance because if there is a problem, I think I'd like to see the club be the bigger man, so to speak, in this case, where they say, "Yes, we won. I'm glad we're not being sued, but we still care about your welfare and his, you know, his whatever assistance we can offer." I'd be very curious if um you mentioned the Nathan Ross thing, Amen. and I'd be curious if Greg Inglis were suddenly not paid by South's all this hush money that they're currently paying him or, you know, s- sneaky salary cap allegedly money allegedly being paid to him Um for when he got, you know, thrown back on. And some might suggest his career basically ended prematurely thanks to Madge Maguire putting him back on when his leg was clearly not in a condition to go back on. And then it got worse. That would be a, not a concussion thing, but a similar you know, duty of care on the coach and the club to to look after their player. That'd be a curious one. Well,
3: it's funny you mention that, isn't it? Because that's probably a seed of why um, one of the many that I have sort of judged Madge by, because that was a fairly obvious case of player abuse. Legitimately, I think, because um, his, knee, his, his knee was never the same after that. But no, look, it's, it's always going to be a case by case, I think. And the NRL have obviously taken steps to try to mitigate the legal risk when it comes to concussion, through rule changes and obviously through the protocols, uh, for raising the awareness about the issue in the first place. Um, I guess the worry for me would be James McManus was a winger. Um, if, if he was to be successful, you can think about the, the huge amount of forwards that you'd imagine uh, would see that as an open gate. I mean, this guy, obviously, he was unlucky with the nature of his contact, um, and he could have just have been genetically predisposed to concussion, which obviously no human being is built the same. So there's there's variation there as well. And I hate to quote Phil Gould on this topic because he's often a fair bit off the, off the base of where it needs to be. But the one thing I'll take as a kernel of truth is when he said the NFL is not the NRL. And in that respect, he's right. I don't think I agree with him for the same reasons. But I mean, I'm not an NFL fan, but when they do those huts and they, they get with their helmets and they run at each other repeatedly, um, you know, basically reverberating their brain through practice and through game time. That's, that seems to me to be uh, more morally culpable than the NRL, which contact can be a little bit more haphazard in the NRL, right? You're not systematically getting each other's skulls and mashing them together like you are in NFL. So I think it is also important not to have a direct contrast with other sports because every sport is built a little bit differently.
1: Yeah, I would also point to Pappenhausen this year. If there's anyone who's had, uh, you know, a, a pretty big scare with, um, concussions. It, it's been him and he's obviously not a forward either. So it the, the, the goes to your point about how everyone's in different situations. And Although Kiri and Cordner again, all those people in different positions, but all of them dealing with it in different ways and having to do different things. Now, speaking of doing things in different ways, uh, tonight, Bizzo, the Dally M's um this year are on over two nights. No audience. Just two nights of an NRL 360 style. Um, but with them sitting in front of Dally M graphics behind them, and and they cross often to a um, or a, a really weird feeling fox presenter standing next to a podium. Um, now, Mizo, run any Cyrus out there through why this system itself is flawed.
2: It's just so flawed for so many reasons, and you only have to look at some of the previous winners that every match is valued the same, and that and even even the people who are giving out these awards, you know, one person, you can just look at the whole Ruan Sims thing. And it's happened many, many times with other people since where players that, you know, only played 10 minutes, even are getting points where they clearly don't deserve it. And I look at that game on the weekend between Manly and the Roosters. Now, no one really dominated that game. It was an obvious team effort by Manly but they're all still frothing over about Tommy Turbo being so amazing. He didn't do that much the other night. He really didn't. He he had a good game, totally fine. But he, one try, one try assist, and otherwise he was pretty quiet. DCE was very, very clearly the, the best player on the field, I thought. But that being said, I, I think if you look at the game between Parramatta and Penrith, there's clearly more people worthy of reward for the effort that went into that game compared to this, what turned out to be a walkover. And so the, you know, the same total of six points being allocated to one game as another is one obvious thing, one obvious problem with it right from the start, that not all games are made equal. And also once a media narrative gets on a player and geez, it certainly is on Tommy Turbo and it's utterly ignoring the quality of play from players from other teams um, and you know it's all about um, Tommy Turbo at the moment so he can't not be man of the match and if Manly were to win the grand final it's almost impossible to see anyone else getting the Clive Churchill medal at this point and you know I think if we won it would be because he deserved it but we've seen with Jack Whiten in the past uh, you know, in all these various awards he's won, he doesn't necessarily deserve them. It's because the media narrative was behind him and everyone got caught up in it. Um, The other big issue is, is that you get points for being the best player on the field, but that's pretty easy when you're playing for, no offense, Big T, but when you're playing for the Tigers and there's only two good players in the team pretty much, you know, Duahy and and Dane Laurie. So those two are going to get the points pretty much every single game. Whereas you play someone for a team like the storm and there's five, six different players who are sharing points. And that was certainly the problem. Uh, you know, a lot of the time you could suggest that Cam Smith, Cooper, Cronk and Billy Slater perhaps all deserved more Dally M awards than they got. Although let's never, ever suggest Billy Slater went lacking for awards. He got plenty that he deserved. <laughs> Um, you know, and so the idea that Jared Hayne, in a team that came last in 2014 or certainly not top 8 I can't remember if that was the year they came last um got equal with Jonathan Thurston when he's when Thurston's team were up near the top it th- those two things weren't equal and it, it just didn't it didn't fit it, and also it's it tends towards a lot of momentum bias I suppose it's tied up with the media narrative thing but you know Players towards the end of the year are certainly gonna, they they get all the big hype around them, and so that's when everyone starts jumping on board. You'd also suggest that let, let's say Latrell Mitchell, he got suspended for six weeks and missed some games, but he missed some games at the start of the year, so he was never going to win the Dally M. So then, is it in the back of the mind of the person who gives out the votes? Well, there's no point giving Latrell the points. He can't win the Dally M. Now anyway, I'll give him to Cody. So that could then sway the vote towards Cody Walker unfairly, and not not that I'm saying he doesn't deserve it if he does win, but you know that's another reason right there that it's you can't tell me it's not in the back of the minds of the judges that I'm not going to give points to the guy who's no longer eligible to win. There's just no way they're not yeah. doing that.
1: There's one thing I just want to quick up uh, pick up really quick for all the Cyrus is your your you brush past for one seems like everyone should know what that reference means. Sorry. And, and what that what happened with her was that she was one night uh, in in a game she was the person giving out dalian points, but it was also pointed out that she was commentating sideline commentating a different game for ABC Radio, and so how on earth she ended up with both those duties on the same night was challenging. And also she she gave those dalian points the same at the same time, so it was near impossible for her to actually be watching that. And so it was pre- it was predicted that she possibly chose it before watching the game. Um, now. There's a lot of things you picked up there, uh, that are, which are flaws of it, and I agree with you entirely. Entirely, uh, I think the the system needs to change. Even in that system, though, it is astonishing that Cameron Smith, Cooper Cronk, and Billy Slater ever won them, uh, and they won them a bunch of times. So uh, hmm. it, it it does happen. Uh, there were sometimes the problem is that unfortunately is there are sometimes like 2012 where Barber won it and he was supposed to win it and should have won it and did. And then there were times uh, where Hayne won it where he should have won it. He was the best person. In 2009, and so he won it. And so people do point to that as going, look, it works. But unfortunately, what that just means is they were the best person in their team over and over again. But that doesn't mean the system necessarily works because in ch- 27, 2018, sorry, Roger Tuivasa-Sheck, who was always a great player, surely wasn't the greatest player in the game in 2018. He may have been when he was a winger and fullback for the Roosters. But working for with the Warriors fell completely into your um, suggestion that sometimes you're in a really bad team, you're the best player. Um, And so you get more points. I'm not sure why you had to use the West Tigers as that example, but that's okay. We did. Uh, Now, Bizzo, can you please explain to us, run through, why in particular it's such a weird thing to put us through this flawed ordeal over two nights?
3: Yeah, look, I want to get to that. But look, I just want to counter what Mario is saying there. I feel like maybe you're ascribing a little bit too much conspiratorial thinking on behalf of the judges. And I'll just put this forward that, you know, you're right in the sense that if you are one of the better players in a team that's struggling, that you're going to stand out more. That's that's no doubt about that. But remember, we I guess it's a team game, and the chances of you getting you know some points for a Dalian, you know, are going to come about in a high preponderance if you're winning games, and if you you know if you're winning games, you're usually surrounded by better players. So there's there's also a counter argument there uh, to suggest that if you're surrounded by better players, it will probably make you a better player. Therefore, you're probably going to the, you know scoop some points if you're involved in some good tries or make some some good tackles um and you know and the jared Haint. obviously there are some examples it sways back and forth but you know if you're the best player in a bad team you know the chances of you getting three points seem to be pretty minimal you know i mean it's probably going to go to the winning team most of the time unless you're the roosters in a grand final then you, you can't win a churchill for love nor money um, so Yeah. It's just one of those things you know, I think that problem has been around since the year dot and I actually don't think that's a problem within the system. That's just the way footy is. Sometimes there's a season where you've got seven or eight freaks in one team who they can't be stopped and they share the points. You know, other times you'll see a team ride to greatness on the back of one or two guys. In this case, it's mainly with Tommy turbo, even though, you know, he's surrounded by some quality people, but you know, it is not a beat up to say that Tommy turbo is having one of the best seasons we've ever seen. That's not necessarily media narrative. That's just the stats. I mean check out the amount of tries and tries this that guy's laid on in a limited season. It's phenomenal. So he deserves every every kudos and credit that he's getting. To your question though T about the two nights for the Daily I'm just end. going to you pause said, you on cuz you said a whole bunch
1: of great things that I just want to come back to. Let let me just quickly um sure. let me just quickly throw you back to 2020. That was the last time uh, uh Bizo that you watched football quite closely. Who were the best wingers, just off the top of your head that you um, that you can recall from that year? It might leak into twenty nineteen, but the two best wingers off the top of your head.
3: I would be leaning with they both play for the Melbourne Storm, Vunavalu and Ado Car.
1: Well, you're half right. It was Ado Ado but of course the other best winger in the game was David Noffaluma. <laughs> yeah, to the, he had a
3: great season. He did. He according
1: did. to the Dally M uh, things, and the best fullback last year.
3: Um, I would have given it to Teddy.
1: Oh, that's a shame because Clint Gutherson somehow got it, um, and also the best five eight last year had to be Jack White, because he somehow was also the best player. So, it just if you just solely work on those numbers, I think you end up in some weird spots. Um, it's it's I would agree with you that Tom Trebich is the best player this year, but we can come up with that decision without assigning. Um, a 3 2 1 to every game. I think, yeah, I think we're smart enough to work out how to do that. Now, sorry to interrupt you to go through the two, the, the ridiculous two nights thing.
3: Well, but you, when they, how do they determine the best winger and best fullback? That's not on the basis of Daly and points.
1: Yeah, it is. is it? It's the highest, the highest rated. Yeah. Who's, which, which winger? You, you go down the list until you find a winger that's, yeah. The the first win. That's wing. how they do it. Yeah, it. that's how you. Wow, that's how. I thought that they got a pool of finalists
3: and then had a panel of judges decide. That's how all like of that.
1: them should be done. You, you're you're preaching <laughs> to the choir, but, but this just, is just, just done think by. About-
2: right just think about the winger bit because wingers don't often get daily M points. There's been a couple of times this year where Ruben Garrick has been the second best player on the field for Manly, just behind Tom Turbo, like quite clearly. And so perhaps maybe yeah. he might've gotten two points both those times. And so there's every chance that if he did get those two points, both those games, that he's going to be winger of the year based on only two games. Now I'm not saying he may not have been, he may have been the best winger this year. He's been very, very good. But the point is, winger of the year can be chosen based off two good games. You could just play two games, be the best player on the field, get six points. Most likely, no other winger is getting six points for that whole year. So you could literally only play two games... And still be the winger of the year, potentially. There may be a rule around that. I might be wrong on that one. Yeah. But let's say yeah, you only probably. play 12 games, or you only play two good games, and the rest of the games, you're just fucking garbage. You know, you're <laughs> you're Brian Totla for two games, but you're Charlie Stains for 22 games. But you win you win the Dally M based on those two good games. Yeah, it's
3: it's yeah, a crazy. It's system. It gets more problematic when you do it by position, doesn't it? I'd have to look more deeply into that, but that doesn't However, make a whole lot
1: of sense. It is how Luke Brooks was once named Dallium half-back of the
3: year.
1: <laughs> so I am, you know, pretty grateful in some respects. Now, we will... I remember we, we'll- that year,
3: though. He had, a, he had a very, genuinely, had a very, very good year that year. It was like an oasis in his career. I don't know what what was different about that year, but...
2: Benji.
3: Um, yeah, look, over two yeah. nights, M. look, you, you, you said something quite, um, I think, crucial before, too. You said it'll be filmed with no audience. And I thought, I think that's right. I don't know if anyone will watch this. thing. (laughs) I don't think it will have an audience. Um, Why you would go from what is seemingly a waning concept in, in the rugby league zeitgeist from what we can tell. I know we've talked about it before. And the answer to that is to double it um, to make it longer and run over two nights. Um, That just, the maths doesn't add up. I mean, I'm, I didn't do particularly great at maths at school, but I know that that's a ridiculous equation. Um, and look, I, I've, I've had a look at the formatting. I know that they're going to be splitting for different reasons. I, I've got to tell you, I'm not even a fan of having, you know, a bunch of awards for best try and best tackle. Some fucker at home can do that on YouTube. Yeah. I can catch up on that later. I just want to know what the esteemed panel think about very particular awards that, that mean something that I care about. And then I want to go home and forget that Jack White never won it. That's basically what my <laughs> deli am not. Left yeah. I don't know what you guys think, but that's where I'm at. Well,
1: it's very weird this year. I had a chance to watch some of it, um, and it was awkward to say the least. And um, it was highlights with Matt nabel which was which was enjoyable. Um, but they have a weird thing this year where they're showing us the points tally, but before they would show us. And like here, here are the points from round this to round that. And then we would see people moving up and down the leaderboard. Well, this year they've just told you five people who end up being the closest. Um, and they're their five nominees. We then watch a Matt Nabel four-minute highlight of of them, and then we see, you know, from this round to this round, this is how many points they have, and they still show us that leaderboard, but they're only highlighting the five people they've got. And they've got um Tom, obviously they've got Teddy. They've got
0: um, they've got
1: Tom, Teddy, DCE, which was one of the one I was trying to lead to at the end because I just couldn't believe it. Uh, someone from oh, they've got Cody Walker and there's obviously somebody else. who's in the top four. Oh, and they yeah uh, yeah so most they of them make to sense
3: right for me.
1: Those choices, yeah. A DCE though just feels a little. There had to be someone in in Parramatta or. I don't know, it just felt a little off, but I mean it's or a storm? point system, so what The um or storm, yeah, sorry. The that makes a lot more sense. Um, the greatest part of the whole entire show
0: though, <laughs> and
1: I'm so excited, like I'm literally bite clenching right now, I'm so excited, was for DCE's Matt Nable um video, they they'd already done every other stability. He was the fifth one, so they'd already kind of he's electric, he's amazing, blah, blah, blah. So they just went with, he's clutch. He does great drop goals. And that is, he is great at that. There's no denying that is. I think he's one of the leading drop goal kickers in the game. Ever. But he, they honestly, with a straight face, it can't be ever, dude. It can't be I'm ever because they used to plot, the drop, drop the goals ever. all the time.
2: No, I'm not saying he's the ever, but he's, he, oh, there, there was some, there was some that, an, that I, like, won the most, at, you know, in the last oh, eight, years. He was certainly oh, right saw. up.
1: There. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah only because i know that they, they changed the rule from how many they worth because one guy just yeah. punted them all the time anyway the um they had this incredible montage that was like he's so clutch if you want someone to have the ball in the last minute of the game you'd go too and then they hit a highlight of jordan then kobe then tom then tom brady then ronaldo oh then god. dce oh my and god hear, <laughs> and hearing matt Nabel say jordan Kobe, Tom Brady, Ronaldo, DCE. I literally laughed out loud so, so hard. And not in a, this is funny, like a laughing hard ad somewhere. I felt horrible. Like I needed to go and have a shower afterwards. It was disgustingly bad. I had to quickly record it and then also share it with Twitter because I was just, I just wanted to make sure that everyone saw it and I needed to re it to make sure that I wasn't going crazy. And it's true. My phone then like died from notifications of people also just blowing up Unable because no one, of course, as you said, Eamon, was watching it, and so they just couldn't believe that poor Matt Nable had to put those five people in a group together. Mate, it was outrageous don't it was crimes say, against rugby league.
3: Do not say poor Matt Nable, who probably authored <laughs> that fucking thing, <laughs> no. it's the most ridiculous writing in the history of sports shows ever. Wow. I gotta tell you that, though, I think that I'd love to see those people all in a room. Yeah, kind of like a special party going, you're the most clutch people of your sport. And just seeing the likes of Tom Brady and Jordan go, who the fuck's the guy? With the long yeah, neck?
1: but to be honest, what's he doing? I've met DCE. He'd get on with those guys really, really well. It's a beautiful, really nice, um, very open, very charming bloke. So he'd actually, thinking about that room, it would be an incredible room. I am to spend some time. It doesn't time mean he him. belongs in the dinner. He doesn't. He doesn't. Like he
3: could be the best bloke in the no. room. We could shouldn't be well yeah. but we're not great <laughs> yeah. as much.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Oh, for sure. He shouldn't be in the room, but I'm just saying, I think he'd go all right. Yeah, he'd be asking for autographs, though. He'd be asking for selfies <laughs> because um it's You're just the outrageous. They
3: could all sign their autograph on
1: his neck. Yeah. There's so much room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... And I also felt embarrassed. That was probably the other thing I was laughing at. I just felt so embarrassed for rugby league because it's just not – we are the greatest rugby um competition in the world, union or league. And still, when you put anyone – I was trying to think, even if it wasn't DCE, I can't think of anyone whose name fits up there. And I don't think Ronaldo's clutch either, if I'm particularly honest. um, But I just don't think that anyone should be said – Next to those four people, it was ridiculous Uh, and amazing.
3: Can I survey you guys, thinking in the world of rugby league, who would be the greatest clutch player you guys have seen, you think? I've got mine.
1: I'm going to steal possibly, oh, Freddie is a really good one. I was almost going to say Lions, Cliffy Lions.
3: As a clutch? Okay, that's interesting. Great great player.
1: Joey Johns uh, as well.
3: Darren Lockyer for me. That guy that... Oh, yeah. In those big moments, he always fucking owned the big moments. I, I don't know how he managed to always be that person on the spot. It turns out it was a skill, not just fucking luck. Um, yeah. But I, I think of those huge games and who was the guy with his hands on the ball, and Darren Lockyer did it so often. And it annoyed. obviously, I was never barracking for the team he was on, so it always
1: hurt Yeah. me. I had the privilege of talking to Clinton Schiavovsky once about Lockyer uh, and his captaincy and that kind of stuff. And he just said that he had that um, that – Kind of gravitas that he, if he was on your team, everyone just felt invincible. Even when you're down by 12, Lucky would be able to look you in the eye, and make you believe that Lucky was going to make something happen. So what are you going to do as well to help Lucky? And yeah. that's that's an incredible um, that's an incredible trait for people to just believe in you that much. That's an um, I think all of the those yeah. Freddie Joey um, Lucky, they're all great ones. They're, I'm worried that if we just keep rattling off, so, I mean, because even Alfie Langer, maybe or Mal Meninga, they're, they're all they're all they're big time players.
3: Jonathan
1: Thurston and Kronk have got to get a mention. Yeah, I'm just worried that's recency bias, but Thurston I agree. Yeah, that they, they kick. That
2: chi- now, you missed that. That's conversion. exactly what I thought Fuck of. Thurston,
1: the conversion.
2: Yeah, but he thumped yeah. the field goal, mate. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I just jump in? Uh, but he
1: also did it for Origin.
2: <laughs> can I just jump in? We were talking about talk, talking about the Daliiem just a little bit more. This, like, yeah, it's over two nights, whatever. This is the biggest indictment on the marketing of the NRL I could ever imagine that uh, Big T and I are both in a discord for NRL boom rookies, which means we're in a group of, I don't know, one, two, three hundred people who pay for the privilege of listening to a podcast podcast about NRL. So I think you can say that the people in that group uh, would be some of the bigger NRL fans going around that we're, you know, we're donating money effectively just because we love NRL so much and we listen to all these podcasts. And yet not one single person in that entire Discord knew that the Dally M's were on tonight.
1: Yeah, it was a hard thing for anyone else to know. I know it was bizarre. No one was talking about it, um, not just on the Discord, but even on Twitter. There was heaps of people on Twitter saying they didn't know it was on. Um, yeah, and that's a real shame. This should be something that people look up, look look forward to and they're making predictions about. Um, and it's because no one believes in it that no one really talks about it or cares about it.
2: It's also that it's, just... everyone's decided who's Where won. Go you go know, everyone assumes that Tommy's got it won. I think that's probably diminished the interest in it a little bit this year compared to some years, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah that could
3: be a factor. I don't know. Look, I want to avoid something that's potentially going to be very unpopular, but... Um, and I, I've started out the year loving his stuff, right? But Matt Nable, we mentioned him before, um, puts together a hell of a montage and, it, and it's stirring and all those things. But my question to the panel is this, at what point are we just going to get fucking sick of that? Because I get the feeling I'm halfway through that already. Mm. And now that you've just mentioned, you know, the the beat up with, Dali, with DCE being matched up with Jordan, um, I do wonder if he's just jumped the shark officially. Mm. What does
1: that mean? Because someone else wrote that today.
3: Jump the shark. Yeah. It's a um, it's a reference to, <laughs> you've asked the right man here, T. Um, oh, is it? A, a reference to Happy Days. Yes, so okay, Happy hey, Days yep. is a sitcom back in the 70s and 80s. The Fonz does and, it. And uh, very, yeah, very infamously uh, late in its run, the Fonz jumps a shark on a, on a jet ski or a water ski. And that was the moment that everyone talked about that show, which was a comedic powerhouse for many years. Was well past its best yep. and it got axed not long after. And now it's just in the common vernacular that if you've gone too far with something, you've jumped. The yeah, start. it's
1: great. It's a great term. And thanks for reminding me about it. Um, now, of course, uh, we wouldn't be much of a podcast if we didn't just complain, but we also came up with solutions. So we would like to welcome everyone to the Tackle M's. Um, I'm also now noticing that we're doing it over two nights. So that's pretty, really. Uh Mizzo and and big and Big Tizo will now be debating over the three candidates that should be nominated for each of our four categories. And during the week, you'll all be able to vote on it. And we will also then discuss the responses next week on a panel show. Matt Nabel will do the voiceovers. Um Big T, do you mind if I
3: bring in each one like on Matt Nabel?
1: I would love you to try. So do you want me to whisper quickly to you the first Oh, no? Do you you can just do the nominations in your own order?
3: okay sure again this won't come with a great deal of words it's just mvp that's, that's it. excellent that's all I have. Just yeah to, just wanted to do that thank you yeah
1: that was really good actually um mvp so mizzo who have you got for best player oh, oh i thought that's
3: with the most valuable penis i fucked fuck this, <laughs>
2: well, this, this works <laughs> that's for what the most, most valuable penis would say most valuable penis, or most valuable player, both are Tommy Turbo because he is apparently <laughs> just about the best hung player in the comp. Except, you know, shout outs to Matt, to Adam Elliott. He might be, he might be a competition, perhaps. But I'll stick with you. Tommy know he has a
1: contract, so he can't. He's disqualified. Uh Okay, George and George
2: um Burgess has a contract.
1: That's true. Amon.
3: Interesting story um, there about Adam Elliott's um, downstairs because apparently when he got photographed inside that Mad Monday pub, what he actually got the penalty for wasn't the fact he was running around the function starkers. because he's so well hung. His cock was actually knocking people out on the ground level, um, <laughs> yeah. swinging back and forth, a bit like an out-of-control crane. But I digress. Um, MVP for me, James Tedesco. Obviously, this comes with a hell of a lot of bias, but I'll, I'll give you my pitch. Uh, he had to actually adapt his entire game. He was already a freak to begin with, let's face it. he's a freak at the Tigers. He's won comps now. But he actually got tasked with uh, <laughs> Our co-captains were gone early in the year. He got told, okay, you're going to be captain. And not only that, you're going to have to not play your traditional fullback role, but you're going to actually have to sort of play four or five hats at once. So you're going to have to take three darts from W half. You're going to have to go into first or second receiver a fair lot. And if you don't mind, could you finish off your own tries as well, please? So you know, dragging the, the bag of bones team that was the Sydney Roosters this year over the line multiple times. For me, James Tedesco was the MVP.
1: I was watching a uh, documentary today, a 30 for 30 about the Lakers versus the Celtics. And one of the things was Larry Bird taking a shot just from inside the three point line. So Bird takes a shot, it ricochets off the um, the backboard and somehow he's under the post, taking the rebound and puts it back in. Now, I just want to remind you, I was saying he was just inside the three-point line. So sometimes he he shoots it, and out of his hand, he realizes how bad it is. But he also realizes how it's going, and then in traffic, gets his way through it, finds the rebound, and and puts and does the putback. And that reminds me a lot of what James Desko had to do this year, where he'd kind of pass it up in the air and then palm someone off, and then catch his own try and then try and score it himself, um, which he did incredibly often in Origin as well. So it wasn't just for the Roosters; it was. Also on mm-hmm. Origin. Um, but I will take a huge amount of gripe with you as well because for some reason Mario had to have a dig at the Tigers before and then you now are saying Tedesco played like a freak for the Tigers then later went on to win premierships. We know. We know he used to play for us and He didn't win anything and now he's winning with you. We didn't need that as part of it. <laughs> anyway, sorry, mate. That
3: was an <laughs> inadvertent stab in the back.
1: I just, everyone loves the Tigers. They're so attracted to the Tigers that every example needs to be a very small fork. Uh, now, my... Hey, T, before uh, you go on, mate, I,
3: I, I want you to know this, just because in solidarity for the Tigers, I've, at, I've actually lit a very small candle in Michael Maguire's honour <laughs> tonight, as we record. And it's it's a weird one. It's not a regular candle. It's in the shape of uh, Greg Inglis's knee cartilage, uh, which died the day that Michael
1: Maguire coached it into the turf.
2: And is it also made out of your uh, vagina juice? It smells like a vagina, but it's not made out of it. Okay.
1: You guys know Way too much about candles or, or Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh My most valuable penis is Brandon Smith. Now I threw this. Mm. I threw this in here because if I was going to build a team tomorrow, he's probably one of the first guys I try and buy. He's a culture guy. His stats are excellent. He scores almost every game, which now seems normal for us, uh, but really shouldn't be for a for a hooker that is also a lock. So the fact that he's also this versatile. Uh, his his line break assists are outrageous. He's had like sixteen or seventeen, which is almost won a game for him because he's had some injuries. Plus, his line breaks are ten or twelve. Um, for a hooker, he's outrageous. So, kicking great, tackle efficiency is almost ninety two percent. A fantastic player and had a fantastic year. Gets a bit lost in the majesty that is the Melbourne Storm team this year. And Harry Grant's a bit of a glitter player, but I think Brandon Smith. Is a smoky for the most valuable penis.
3: Look, I, I've got to be totally agree with you. I think the cheese is one of my favorite players. And if it's any testament, the fact that you, you know, I would see him as one of my favorites. He plays for the storm. Not exactly a, a team that I love. Yeah. Um, he's he's not only great for that team, he's great for the NRL. I agree. That guy is a genuine character and he's an absolute gun. I'm um, love him. Hard to disagree with your choice. And if I was building a team tomorrow, 1-17, it would be tough to argue that I wouldn't choose him as my nine either.
2: There's something you guys have missed about Brandon Smith, and that <laughs> is that in the last week he has ousted himself as a Craig Kelly fan. So I'm, I think there's a decent chance Brandon Smith won't be playing NRL next year <laughs> because he will be refusing to get vaccinated and will be banned from the game.
3: Way to take a big, hot, steaming shit over my dreams. I yeah, didn't know I, that, I, was a big,
1: that
2: yeah, I was a big cheese fan. I no longer am. He can go get fucked along with charred nickel clockface and any other one of, of these absolute moron, anti-vaxxer, bloody Craig Kelly loving. They All of them. They can just get fucked, a lot of them. They're welcome to their freedom to not, ta- not get vaccinated.
0: Mm,
1: yeah, wow. Well, I didn't know that. That's a real shame. Um, now, Matt Naber, would you like to introduce the next one?
3: You know, sorry, sorry, T. Murray, you've really hurt T. Now, you know, he he we went to the effort of choosing Brandon Smith as his MVP, no, and then
1: you to
3: assassinate his I needed, character.
1: I needed to vet better. Question. No, no, this is my fault. This isn't Mario.
2: Well, yes and no. I mean, a simple been,
1: Google search.
2: He's been a great player this year, and that doesn't disqualify him from being MVP this year. It just. Diminishes the whole "he's a great bloke" thing that Eamon brought up. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, you know, you I got it. Look, I think people are more complex than that, Mario. They're not too they They're not two D caricatures. I haven't looked into this, so I don't know how far the advocacy works. But you could conceivably be a fan of a political figure that I hate and still be a good bloke. Let's let's use a little bit of nuance here.
1: They're coming from you, by the way. That's outrageous, Mario. You should feel. Very, very very confused. (laughs) Um, Also, the only person on that list who I bought a beer for this year, so I'm also a big fan of Brandon Smith. Now, Matt Nabel, can you please um, introduce the next category? Most improved player. (laughs) That was not as good as your first one. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Bezo, what are you doing for this one, though? Who's your most improved player?
3: Um, Well, you know, this is an interesting one, right, because I've chosen someone... Uh, in a team that someone on this panel follows. And he's not someone that you necessarily think of, uh, well, ever, for that matter. So he's a bit of a low light. Um, when you said before, you know, would this be someone that you'd build a team around? The answer would be no, categorically no. But he really has fit in really well in this team. It's the guy in the number nine. It's Lachlan Croker. He used to be a bit of a joke for me, a bit of a meme. But I've got to tell you, What he's brought to that Manly team when he's there, so much stability, so much calmness. He's got good service.
2: He's a good defender. And I just think he's a genuine all-round rugby league player. Kudos to him. Um, He's my most improved. Well, I'm not going to diminish Eamon's um nomination. he's welcome to that thought That's not where I'm going with my nomination. <laughs> um, i okay. I would nominate Isaiah Papaliti as the most improved player. Yeah,
0: yeah, keep going. That's, a
3: good, that's a pretty good.
2: Choice. I think I think he always yeah. showed I think most people when that that switch, that swap was made for Kane Evans, most people who'd ever watched rugby league looked at that and went done it again, Brownie because what? the absolute fuck was that call. But Papalihi had been good for the Warriors, but he hadn't been, you know, absolute gun at the Warriors. And he has, in my opinion, turned into an absolute gun. I think there's been a lot of players from a lot of clubs you could say you could put forward here. I think you could have 30 players and any of them would be quite worthy. But to me, Papalihi has been – he's kind of been the – he's been what Nathan Brown used to be to the um, Eels, but has turned into just this, you know – Absolute cat that he mostly is now, bit of a pussy, not, not a fan. Um, but Papa Lee's been amazing. I feel like he's been the real glue that's held that forward pack together, and yeah, that's that's why I nominate him.
1: And of course, we mean the uh small cat rather than the lady's vagina when he refers to uh him being Which a pussy, may or may, the- not, may
3: or may not smell like Gwyneth Paltrow, Can <laughs> say this? Um, or candles I-
1: lit at your house.
3: <laughs> totally agree his form has come from the clouds uh for me i, I saw him as a fairly run-of-the-mill player that i was barely aware of before he turned up at the Yes. Yeah. um he runs exceptional lines he runs it at 110 percent he's fit and the guy's a good defender too if you notice he doesn't seem to lose his intensity throughout the match you know it's, mm. it's to go apeshit in the first 20 uh but to keep it up i know he goes on and off the field but um, he's genuinely fit. He's, a, he's absolute, what a weapon. I mean, he's got to be most improved, yeah, but he's got to also be one of the buyers of the season, doesn't he?
2: For sure.
1: Yeah. And uh, I thought he was the one who was going to win it the other night. In fact, for the Eels, I thought that if someone actually is a game breaker in this, it'll be either a sneaky kick by Moses, or it's just going to be Papali'i with a one of those incredible runs where he carries three or four of them over on his back, um, just from a great line and the will to win. Um, but I agree with you, I Eamon. I, I had no idea really that he existed uh, until he was just dominating at parameter. a warrior. And, and, uh, well, yeah, he but did. I mean, I know warrior players. I just I would have thought I knew him or, or most of the players in the NRL and I often get surprised. Uh, my most approved is Reed Marnie. Now, I, I know that he's already been playing well, but I thought this year he was exceptionally good. And at any time, particularly when they played those storms or those really close games, it was off the back of his incredible Incredible, not just choices, play choices, but the service that he gives and his kick chases um, and his kicking game have all been standout this year. And the moment he got injured, he was the Latrell Mitchell really for the Eels. I think he was probably the worst person for them to lose. Um, and the, mm-hmm. and the, his face when he fe- when he discovered that he was probably gone for the season um, mm. was dire. And I, my heart broke from him. So I just feel like out of everyone in that Paris, I know they won were, a bad side last year. They, they made the finals. Um, but everyone in that Parasite probably coasted. I think um, this week in League's stepdad has said that Parramatta are a bunch of just slightly above-average players, all of them, and no one's that great, uh, which I thought was a really interesting assertion. But I, I probably have now started to think that Reid Marnie is the only one who who isn't an above-average player. He's actually one of the better hookers in the game and got better this year to the point where I thought he was the most improved.
2: The time When Jay said that, I think he was pretty much spot on because I feel like that was about... Eight, nine at weeks the time, ago. Yeah. And that's how yeah. the Eels were playing. Marnie was their standout. I have a feeling Jay even said that from memory that maybe mm. Marnie was sort of the exception. But um they have there's been certain players. I mean, Mitch Moses has stepped up massively. If you if you went biggest improvement on from you know round six to round twenty, it's Mitch Moses because he's in the course of this year, he's gone from just he wasn't that great at the start of the year, he was doing okay. But I I thought he's been amazing the the last couple of weeks of the season and these couple of games of finals. Mitch Moses has been great. In terms of Reed Marnie, I agree with you a lot that he has improved. I think last year he was throwing and mostly getting away with way too many forward passes. And he's actually gotten that out of his game. And I feel like the attack has flowed better because I, I thought they were stretching for a lot of those forward passes, whereas the timing seemed to be a bit more on with Parramatta this year. And maybe that's coaching. Maybe that's a whole, you know, a whole of team thing, but it felt like a Marnie thing to me. So I wouldn't agree. He's the most improved simply because he was at a pretty damn decent level last year. But I think, I think he's a worthy nominee anyway.
1: My only problem would be with Mitch Moses is that he's too rollercoaster. You might have to have an asterisk on this where I think Reed money is now at levels. He was never at before. Whereas Mitch Moses has been as good, but he's also gone back down. And so he's, is up and the the fact the level he's at now might be slightly above anywhere he's ever been before, but I think he's been around this level even with the Tigers. He was really good at, uh, through parts of the year, so mm-hmm. the fact that his form dropped is why he now looks so good in, in this part of the year. But it's it's still a good point. He's since Origin, he's been fantastic. Eamon, what were you going to say?
3: I was just going to say yeah, Reid Marnie's. a really skillful hooker though, isn't he? Yeah. He's also got he really reads the game. I think that's probably why I think his biggest asset is he's a bit small. He gets. Rag gold at times and he can miss the odd tackle just from sheer size imbalance. But um the guy's reads and his passes and, and his kicking games also coming along really well. And I guess it's an unfortunate observation to make, but it was really noticeable when poor old Ray Stone made four errors in yeah. eight minutes, um in the game against Penrith. Do we want to touch on that? How does how does a young bloke like that come back from a from a horrendous moment in their career like that is not the same same thing that you can sort of just dust off, is it? I felt so bad for him that night.
1: I was devastated by that. Red is, um tackle efficiency, by the way, is at ninety six percent. He's a gun. Um, the I, I don't know how he bounces back. I don't know. I don't know him at all. But that head noise could be hectic, particularly when you go straight into an off season where like you want and done. Hopefully, they have a big um, a big. Um, mad monday and they can you know he can drink it off and feel better they've about got it to get but Around him, right they've got to get his around worst him. nightmare surely is that he comes in and read money as the backup and then he fucks up that badly particularly yeah. that last play of the game where you really felt like they had a lot of ascendancy this was the play that was going to happen and he picked the wrong choice which is really what i was thinking about before with money as well he always almost always made the right choice and trying to hit paulo there in in, in a You know, lead line on tackle four when Paul had also knew that play was on. You should always be ready for the ball. But he also knew that play wasn't, had to go out the back and and find anyone else. But yeah, uh yeah, he had he had a few shockers in that game. And I really hope that they do. I'm sure that they are very aware of that. I mean, we're living in 2021, the coaching staff and the players will know. Everyone except for Clint Guthinson, who I'm sure just shouted him, call him a C bomb. (laughs) Everyone else, I'm sure we get around him and and look after him.
3: You know, and I'm not big on the socials as much as you guys, but I noticed uh Reed Marnie. Put something out on Twitter and said um congratulations to the boys what a what a fight that was it was a great game and so many of the responses were we needed you out there tonight yeah which was which was code for you know poor old Ray stone had a had a barry in that 10 minute period so i mean i'm sure i'm i didn't see it i hope no one was trolling him or, or doing anything you know stupid but I, I just wonder as a as an athlete when you have those moments where he was clearly in almost in quicksand you know when yeah you make two errors and it starts to get inside your head. And he, that's where the extra two errors came from. By the way, one of them was a bad pass. there was never a knock on. So really he only made three errors. Mm. But, um, you know, it is one of those those things, you know, we, we see it with Ben Hunt where it took a season and a half for him to come back from one error. You know, you do wonder sometimes when the moment is so key, it's so pivotal, you know, what's the psychological damage and how long does it last for when you make it, you know, a series of errors well, like that. Hopefully well, for him, he dusts it off. And he's like Maloney, and he doesn't remember any of them. <laughs> um, and he can't like, be bigger and better. I hope for his sake that's that's the truth, and that's the way it goes.
1: Murray, you're the only um, athlete on the pod, so you'd, you'd be the only one who could speak with any authority about it.
2: Oh, look, I, I think you can just look look to some um, his semi-recent history to ex- similar examples. You'd say Justin Hodges' first um, Origin game was quite similar. Darren Lockyer's first um, game for Australia was absolutely yeah. diabolical. He dropped it three or four times, and, you know, it, it was really, really bad. And both of those guys came back. I hope for Ray, Ray Stone's sake that, that that he can, you know, he's he'll have the right people around him, and they'll be aware. And I hope that he's not just abandoned and just said, oh, well, fuck it, you're only third or fourth choice anyway, so see you later, bye, because that that could really fuck with him. Yeah, the that's he the doesn't issue, get isn't it, Mario?
3: Anymore. Because Darren Lockyer and Hodges were gun players when they made those Barry's, you worry you worry about someone like Stone because he was filling Reed Marnie's boots when yeah. it
2: happened. He was well, he was filling the boots <clears throat> of the guy who was filling Reed Marnie's boots, and that makes it hard. So there's no there is no guarantee he's getting yeah. another chance. So I hope he does. I also would say, in defense of Gutho and Moses, guys like that, who may have sworn at him and called him a fucking C-bomb or whatever, but in the heat of the moment, when you're in that sort of an intense game, I think it's perfectly understandable for them to lash out like that and get pretty upset. I'm I'm pretty confident that those two guys would be straight around him after the game and be saying, Mate, "Yeah, I agree. You know, you're all right. You, you'll get another chance. You'll bounce back." Blah blah.
1: I think I actually think honestly, Gutherson would be one of the best like clubhouse dudes in the NRL. I think he he has such a vibe that would make a lot of people feel comfortable and he, and he looks quite casual and whatnot. I think on the field he has a very, you know, a, a pretty horrible outlook from from what we can see, persona, but I'm sure also a lot of the boys would know that comes from that same person that, that's caring for them, looking after them and what's the best for them. So, um, yeah.
3: Is that a thing? Though? Is the Gaffo thing, I know he swore at um, his centre that time, you know, which which happens. Is that a pattern with him? Because I haven't picked that up. I, I always thought that was a, a bit of a beat-up on, on behalf of, of uh, Buzz Rothfield, I wasn't, sh- you know, sure if that uh, was actually a thing because, like you said, T, my only perception of Gutho has been that he's a, you know, a bit of a lad, you know, and that he, yeah. he sort of plays it up on the field. He seems like someone you'd want to play with, actually. Um, you know, I mean, look, if you're going to go by people who have abused people, I mean, little Corey Thompson abused the shit out of <laughs> the center who fucked up against the Roosters in the right. finals. Herbert, Herbert. Yeah. I mean, and that's not Corey Thompson's go, but that's footy. Like, it's the height of emotion. You're there in a in a in a really tight game, and it's you know it's coming down to the, a really pivotal moment, and someone makes a mistake. It's you know we, I'm sure we've all played sport here. I've done it, not not necessarily going after someone and swearing in their face, but you know you'd be swearing obscenities in the air, going out of frustration, wishing that went another way. Well,
1: oh, for sure. I mean, the the highest level of what I've ever played was uh, John and rugby. Uh, on my PlayStation. and I used to swear all the time when people would would break out of tackles and shit like that. it would it would drive me nuts. But I agree, i look, there's been three or four instances I've heard Gutter do it. All of them have been this year or last year, and so it's a really unfair environment where we're we're hearing a lot of microphone pickup from referees. And I'm sure I know Joey Johns would have been absolutely filthy have an absolutely filthy mouth um while he was playing. So you know it's an unfair. An unfair thing. But, all I mean, in that game there, someone uh, someone uh made a mistake. The parameter player made a mistake, dropped the ball, something like that. Gutho went over to talk to the referee about it. And and Gutho's player behind him was firing up to the referee. And Gutho turned around and sprayed him even for that. He said, shut up, shut the fuck up, shut up. And then turned around and talked normally to the referee. And I was fair. like, he's almost, that's almost, <laughs> yeah. But I just loved it even, it was kind of like, like a really shit dad, like, you know what I mean, where he, he's trying to, like, do the right thing, but his kid's just fucking giving him the shits. And he's talking to him badly, but the whole scene, you know, he's trying to do the right thing, but he's just doing it in a bad way. And I wonder yeah. if that's sometimes what he's doing on the field, is that he's trying to do the right thing for the team. He's trying to motivate people and tell them that they're doing the wrong, get their head back in the game, we're doing the wrong thing, get get back in it, but sometimes he's communicating it in in a way that's not socially acceptable. Um, yeah. Matt Nable, can we have another one? Coach of the year. <laughs> I think it's the inflection up that's getting me. That was more like a yeehaw. coach of the year. Uh Okay, and you can keep going as well, Eamon. Who's your coach of the year, mate? Can also just compliment us before you do it? We've gone through two and have no repeats, which is pretty amazing.
3: Yeah, no, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, yeah. And I don't think anyone's ever going to get a repeat of my coach of the year. Mm. Uh, Paul Green. No, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, my coach of the year... Trent Robinson, again, I know it's my outrageous bias, but I'm going to celebrate with this sound. Uh, That is to you, Robbo, for a hell of a season of managing to get a third-string squad, not only into the finals, but win one of their finals games, almost into a top four before being obliterated by a much better side. I
2: think it's an absolute lay-down Mazaire two-horse race. There's only two candidates, in my opinion, and that is Robbo and Bellamy, I personally lean fractionally towards Bellamy. Um, simply, I, I do think Robbo has done an incredible job. I think he probably will win and I would not argue for one second if he does. Um, I lean towards Bellamy simply because, although I did tip Melbourne at the start of year to win the grand final, most people had them declining because, you know, Smith had left. This was They'd finally lost the big three and they're definitely going to decline this year. And what he's done... To make them into you know just tiny bit short of the best for and against of any team. No, no, the, he got the he got the best for and against of any team ever. Granted, in PVL ball, but he got the most points scored. He just missed most points scored for a season, and he, he's done that with this team that was supposed to be declining, and and to win the season. And you know, yeah, he got a bit of a scare at the end. Almost didn't get the um minor premiership, but. I think what he's done is probably absolutely incredible. And the fact that we're 99% of of judges of you know rugby league people are all assuming that Storm have got the grand final one because of how much better we think they all they are than everybody else is really a testament to his coaching as much as I hate the guy.
3: Mario, who think who said that they're ever in decline, the Melbourne Storm? They've got two hookers in the one team that happen to be the world's first and second best hooker.
2: There's well, nothing to after worry about this tape. After round 2, even Melbourne, plenty of Melbourne fans were calling for Brandon Smith to be dropped after that game against um Para and then that game against Penrith where he was quite terrible. He was looking gassed after about 15 minutes of the game and because they didn't have Harry Grant available, he had to play, you know, most of the game and he looked terrible and that was a large part of why they lost those games. So it yeah, was not that obvious at the start of the year that Brandon Smith was this amazing hooker because he'd never really had the chance to be the starting hooker before.
3: Well, they lost to Parramatta because George Jennings can't catch. Uh, but then yeah, earlier in the season, Brandon Smith was just, he wasn't match fit, obviously. He wasn't, he clearly was a bit gassed, but he's, I think that's a pretty fair observation, but he's got a lot better throughout the season. But I'm just talking about their overall roster.
2: But that is what people had thought. Just the fact that they lost the supposed greatest player of all time and then the team's gotten better, which to me is a great great question. We don't listen
3: to the people, mate. We never listen to the people.
2: Well, but also, okay, yes, the Roosters have had the worst injury toll of any team this year. I think it's a fair – I think you'd be allowed to suggest that the Storm have probably just about had the second worst. They've had a lot of injuries throughout the year. Pappenhausen, who's one of the best fullbacks in the game, absolute elite tier, has missed a huge amount of the year and they just kept on rolling with Nico Hines suddenly becoming a half a million dollar, you know, h- h- guy who's good enough to start in the halves. Where where the hell did that come from? They've been yeah, playing... well, he was my
1: second for most improved, actually. If I was gonna have someone else, it would have been Nico Hines. Yep, mm. and
2: they've been playing some absolute <laughs> scrubs like Remus Smith, Jennings, Loomy, Lumi. <laughs> <laughs> and they've and they've been somehow still going really well in the Brandon forwards. Smith had, hasn't been bad, man. Breanna Smith's been all right. I mean, he's saying
1: he's a scrub in any other team, and that, that yeah. might be true of all the Storm players. They might all be shit in other teams. We just don't know because they're in that incredible system.
2: I mean, they've had Kenny Bromwich playing in the centres at times this year, and he's killed mm. it there. What the are yeah, doing player?
1: well, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, good. You point. wouldn't know because he plays such an incredible role as the second role there. He's almost like an inside, inside centre where he could ball play out uh he, he could do a quite a cross out to to He could put it on the toe he could step back inside he's 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 like 50 and um another halfback. back like it's he, just yeah like that left side's un, like probably better than south so They just don't score as many because the rest of the melbourne team's so good um my uh, i'm really glad that, i'm really glad that you guys were giving so many great shout outs to future um, tacklers Uh, tackle MVP, Brandon Smith, about how he had a bit of a slow start. But you're right. He's now the best player in the game. I appreciate you both. Um, (laughs) Justin Holbrook was going to be my coach. Now, only because I felt like Melbourne were already up there and stayed there. Rooster stayed there. Bellamy, uh, sorry, the uh, Rabbits guy, Wayne Bennett, stayed there. Everyone kind of stayed. But the only person who was on a trajectory – um, until someone corrects me, and then continued that trajectory, although only so slightly, um, was, was him. So not only is he attracting players that haven't probably hit their peak yet, but but are uh, uh, universally agreed that are great players. He's attracted those signings to the club, and, and they're a bit of a scrub team as well. Culturally, they're, they're a place that a lot of players went to to relax and, and have a great time. And so he's been able to change that over the last two, three years where they were slowly improving, slowly improving, a game or two outside of the eight last year and and their big goal was to improve on that. And they did. They made it to the eight and pushed the Roosters um all the way to one final play. So I think he's instilled a lot of belief. He's brought in Jamal Fogarty, who was who's 24, 25 playing in Q Cup, and 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 Justin was had the had the bravery to, to put his career on the line and, and back that guy. And and even with Ash Taylor, million dollar man there, he, he found Sexton and he found Jamal and, and he's moving ace AJ around. his put he had, again, the courage and the belief in um, that extremely young fullback to, to um, put him in as well. So, yeah. And and if you watch their documentary at the beginning of the year, they they all bought into that system. And you could see all year there wasn't much dissension. There weren't much talks about getting rid of um, Justin Holbrook. All of them believed that he was going to be the guy. And um, to, to the point where he dragged a team that probably shouldn't have been in the finals, into the finals, I think a lot of that had to do with with the belief and the culture that that club's built over the last eighteen months, which is way harder yeah. than what than what a lot of the top four teams' coaches are having to do. Yeah, I think that that key word
0: there
3: is belief, isn't it? Because if you're going to compare the Titans of a couple of years ago with the performances that the Titans are putting in this year, yeah, it's just those moments in the game where before they would fold like a you know pack of cards. This year, they seem to have a bit of result. They seem to think that they actually can win matches. Um, and and that's that's imperative, right? Because that's that kind of steely underbelly that so many coaches try to instill, but it, it never quite get there. I think Holbrook is a a pretty good example of someone who's actually put some steel mm. in there. And you make some good points, particularly around selections. I think he's made some bold selection moves at times, um, but they've been good ones. You know, I think Jaden Campbell. Uh, Jaden Campbell, was, yeah. They, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was. I going don't on. know if that was through necessity or design, but. What a player and what a find. And they should be holding on to him for as long as they can. Yeah, excellent player. He's got a huge future. Um, I think Fogarty, I think you're right, See, I think Fogarty was a, a really good choice to be that kind of primary playmaker and phase out the Ash tailors of the world. And, um, and as a result of playing better and from getting good press around the club, they've actually attracted some talent. And they've attracted the right talent. It's not just throwing, yeah. and throwing the checkbook at players. Yeah. They've actually got a really good balance. Mm. Yeah, they've got a good balance going. So to me, they're only going to get better. And I think Holbrook's. you know, I I see the credence in what you're saying.
1: Um, The only other thing I'll also say about um, Jaden Campbell is that that documentary that I was alluding to before, they, um, they talked about him then and that he was, you know, he looked like he was ready, but they're just seeing when. And so that wasn't just luck. I think part of it was probably injury and whatever, but... They um they knew he was there the whole time, ready to go. Um, and when he had his opportunity, he was fantastic. Now I also had the um privilege and honour to have three of Twitter's best Titans fans do a special episode of Sports Best Friends once their team was um out of the finals. Although I didn't know that when I lined them up, I just had them on this, and and then the the game happened. But they also felt like that game was probably the the biggest, most hurtful loss of their. Uh, club's small history and that also says a lot about their hope and their beliefs that, that those fans really believed that they sh- could have won that game, would have won that game and that they're the tight that would win that game uh, and all of them felt like next year was going to be even better so Holbrook's having a big impact not just on the playing group but also on the fan base. Now uh, Matt Nabel you you're feeling like you want to do one more or you want to give up on that bit?
3: No, I'll never give up on a terrible okay. <laughs> <Thank> you.
1: <laughs> Last one best haircuts. <laughs> I was also expecting a few like, look at this haircut. Isn't it a cut? Because he loves doing those. This is a player. He's a player. Look at this bloke. Um, you know what so- you're talking about there? You're, to- that you're talking about way too much nuance and, and quality. Um, <laughs>
3: you know, I mean, yeah. That would have been a great thing to do had I thought about it.
1: Yeah. I did well, not- I, once, I was once on a uh, podcast that did a... Trivia not. And they asked me and the other combatant to do the best Tommy impersonations. And I wonder if uh, if you were asked ever, Eamon, to do on what that would sound like.
3: That's pretty easy. I'll do it on the count of three. You ready?
1: Do it. You one. want me to count? Or you, oh.
3: yeah, you can count me in.
1: Three, two, one. Oh, that's terrible. You're a terrible human being. You're a terrible human <laughs> being. He's dead, mate. He's <laughs> dead. <laughs> you're a terrible and human wasn't being.
2: Wasn't that podcast you're talking about, this one, Big T. Of course,
1: it was. Of course, okay. it was. But okay. I just love. I just wanted someone else to say it because okay. that episode
3: release date, release date TBD.
1: Yeah, that, that that episode's about as live as um that uh that impersonation was the um okay. So best haircut, Mario. You go. You do yours.
2: Um, I'm going back to my own team, which I kind of hate doing, but I'm going to say Marty to power.
3: Oh, oh
1: yeah, okay.
3: Is this because he got groped
1: recently? I uh, know. I was going to say, you just, <laughs> is this you like virtue signalling Um, him getting a hair pull or what?
2: No, this is just me appreciating anyone who can have such glorious hair in complete mm. contrast to what's upon my own noggin. The <laughs> 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 like wood noggin say, as
3: well. How good, how good would Mario look with Martin DePau's locks? I'd love it. It's, oh, it's so good. good.
1: You'd look like Homer pretending to be a Rastafarian and not realizing that it's really culturally inappropriate.
3: You, you look a little uh, bit like a really bleached white Billy Vanilli. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. 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 Also, I'd love to see your head on top of his insanely huge body as well. I think all of this thing would be great. I'm going to go and do this after we get off the phone. Uh, I'm doing uh, Ryan Pappenhusen. Um, I think the mullet is great, but what I love most about his hair is the amount of kids who have also done his hair during lockdown. And I know that because I follow him on Instagram and he will repost anyone who puts a photo up on their story saying, hey, Ryan, I just got your haircut." <laughs> and so there are a thousand, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds uh, whose mum are in the background or doing the video who've just shaved us, essentially just above the ears. And then they're doing like a little shuckers and a quick video of their hair. And he, he'll he pump out anyone who's done the Ryan now. And so that um, ludicrous hairstyle is now across the nation. And I, I love that about it.
3: You know, T, when I was growing up in the mid-90s, way back in the
1: day... <laughs> you uh, never grew up, so, but yeah, when you were alive yeah, in the mid-90s. Yeah,
3: that's right. Uh, the big thing that was corrupting Australia's youth back then was violent movies and video games. Right. Who knew that all this time later, it was Ryan Pappenhausen's hair
1: that would be... <laughs> Insta <stories>. ...the biggest <laughs>
3: villain when it comes to shaping Australia's youth. It's a great <laughs> shame. I hope one day he's stopped um, and he's brought to justice because, for me, it's up there with kitty porn.
1: Oh, <laughs> you are anyway. <laughs> you uh, are at at right. this point
3: I should I should mention I'm five being Is that all right?
1: <laughs> I mean it's not as bad as you won last week about the the breast and the anyway, I'm not gonna go back to it. What's your uh what which one are we gonna end on?
3: Uh I thought we'd end on, my favorite haircut in the game is uh Siwa Takiyaho You can set your watch to it. I love it. It's almost military-esque. And I appreciate him in a, in a world of ridiculous haircuts like the Pap um, and bloody kick-out, It's nice to have someone out there who just has a short back and sides and looks like he could be in the front line going into Vietnam. I love it. One
1: thing I think we've all all of the uh, tacklers have learned about you is you're actually quietly quite conservative, and uh, all of these rule changes and things are you know really unsettled you and and things mm-hmm. like that. And so I think. Um, when growing up in the in the '90s, when you heard about all of those video games, you of course weren't watching it. I think you were at rallies with your mum, who was shouting at the uh, principal of your school that they should be having uh, PG uh, PG movies to play played at school. And I, I, think, I think that's right. right you
3: now. Is yeah. this the right time to reveal my political allegiance to Craig Kelly? <laughs> I think
1: so. You're his speechwriter, I'm sure, and all that sort. <laughs> those kitty porn jokes go down really well in the Lib Party. Has um, anyone got
3: one of those fucking tech mes- text messages from him yet? I've yeah. got. Yeah.
0: Well,
1: of from mm, well, you're his target market, mate. Um, <laughs> I mean, I opened so- this, but still. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is Siwa also the guy who's an anti vaxxer and Robbo got rid of him? Yes. Am I misremembering that? Yes. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, you're, you're killing yeah, it. that
3: was out, that was the blight on the Roosters' squad this year. That was genuinely disappointing i love that man but yeah he he did like something that was like it was one of the protests or something about not wearing masks and i don't know if robert got rid of him but he certainly wouldn't put him frontline center for any further press for the rest of the year that's for sure
1: and the roosters had a great uh, bunch of videos about getting vaxxed um, they did a good job uh we are just about to shift now into a chat with luke diamond phillips of course mario you might hear is sipping beers that he won so uh, egregiously from Eamon. He bullied him in essentially into a bet. Is is that a fair comment, Mario?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, we all knew that Eamon was going to lose the bet. <laughs> and as he accepted the bet, he did say, why are we bothering? I'll just send you the beer now. But I insisted that we wait and see who won.
1: And uh, Eamon, can we know which beers are in town waiting for Mario?
3: Yeah, mate. Look, I, I did toy with the idea of getting Mario his, his least favoured beer just out of sheer spite, which would be a VB, or a Crown Lager, which are basically the same. It's a wedding a VB. Yep. yeah, yeah. Exactly. But I didn't do that. Uh, my benevolence got to me, and I actually got him one of his favourite ones from the bloody Brookvale um, Brewery, which its names eluding me. What's it called, Mario? Four Pines. Yes, Four Pines. I got him his Four Pines. I think it's the Pale Ale, and I've been assured that every second bottle has a singular hair off Des Hasler's head, <laughs> which apparently gives the beer a bit of extra zest and body. So enjoy that, mate. And uh, hopefully you don't cough up some of Des's hair like a cat with a furball.
1: Well, enjoy them, Mario, while we listen to Luke Diamond Phillips.
3: How have you been finding the series so far?
0: The finals, yeah, it's been good. Obviously, um, you know, the chooks went in, you know, under, under man, which has been... You know, they've done really well, um, but obviously in a semi-final, um, the opposition's going to be right on their game. So it was just, um, unfortunately, they just ran out of troops, which, um, you know, they could have gone a lot further. I thought if um, they were f- fully fit, but um, mainly obviously just too good on the night.
3: Diamond, I do want to get clarity here, mate, because um, obviously I know you as a proud tricolour man. I'll never forget the 2000 grand final. Um, <laughs> but I do know your allegiances are somewhat split. When, you were, when we were playing the Titans... Who are you barracking for? Because I know you've done a bit of work for them.
0: Uh yeah, I know it's hard because I've got one of my best mates, uh Clint, he's the uh strength and conditioning coach up there this year with um Justin Holbrook. He was our SNC at the referees when I was there. So I sort of um I was sort of hoping they went well for him. But um, you know, you know being an ex chook, I just want them to win every year, I suppose. Uh, um, you know, that I'm not there. So it's um yeah, I was going for the Roosters. That's the right answer, mate. That's all I wanted to hear. But um, And you've got to be careful. We're on here with
3: Mario, who is a devout, and I say devout in capitals, Manly fan. So he has had gloating rights this week. Um, I've been trying to avoid him for that for that reason. Mario, did you see it the same way when uh, Diamond was talking about that game? Was it just a matter of the Roosters running out of troops?
2: Oh, or I, are you
3: just a superior club?
2: I don't think there's any doubt that's what it was. The, the Roosters, they you know i've been saying to you for the last couple of months that you know the roosters have got a lot to look forward to next year if they can have some players healthy on the field i reckon they i think they did really amazingly well i would think with their injury toll they had most teams would be you know struggling to maintain anywhere in the top 10 11 spots and you know they didn't just do that they continued to excel
0: i think it just shows how good a coach trent robinson is you know to be able to hold it together with a team that's, you know, basically almost a reserve grade side, you know, like it's, um, they've obviously got good systems there as well. So like you said, they'll, um, they'll have a much better year next year. A lot of players having extra games under the belt.
3: You'd think he's got to be a shoe-in, wouldn't you, Luke, for um, the coach of the year, Robbo?
0: Yeah, it's, it depends how they judge it, you know, whether they judge it on wins or, um, you know, overachieving or whatever, but um, yeah, he'd definitely be up there.
3: Let's hope they don't judge it on losses because that'd be a weird acceptance from Trent Barrett. Mate, um, look, I I, I think you've actually been vocal on this topic, so I'm really interested to get your your thoughts on it. Um, You know, it's been memed throughout the social media world as PVL ball by that being the the many rule changes um, that Peter Volandis has brought in uh, over the last 18 months, and also, I guess, the crackdown and the way that high tackles have been interpreted. That match the other night between Parramatta and Penrith. I haven't heard a single person tell me that that was a... It wasn't one of the best matches I've seen all year, even Parramatta fans, although they've been forlorn with the result. They loved it. I loved it. What did you make of the game? And do we need to see more games like that?
0: Yeah, well, it was just a typical semi-final game, I guess, because the, the game before was so one-sided. We've seen a lot of games this year, you know, so lopsided because of the um, the momentum swings and teams just can't seem to stop momentum when the good sides get it. So it's, it was, um, you know, that's, that's what we want. Like, you know, this what the semi-final is about to the best sides, putting everything out there and defending their hearts out. And, um, you know, I think next week will be the same, just very too low scoring games, Um, which is, you know, obviously the best, best kind of footy. Because we're often told, aren't we, that the reason these rule
3: changes are brought in is because we need to make the game more entertaining. And I've always had a problem with, with that meaning that we need to see more points. Uh, obviously it's nice to see open attacking football, but, it's also nice to see some bone rattling defence. We saw that from both sides the other night. I thought it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, it was good. And the fact that um, so it's a thing that the top sides have got, and um, is they've all got like tight jerseys, really tight jerseys. And it's just a small thing that I've noticed that's um that the top sides have. And when you've got a tight jersey, you can't actually be handled in the ruck. Like it's very hard to slow the ruck because there's nothing to grab onto. So. You know when the Melbourne play the lower sides, they got the loose jersey. You can just see it so obviously in the ruck that they can slow the play the ball down. But when, you know, the top sides played, um, it's just that little one percent that these teams do to get advantage, and they can't wrestle with it. You know what I mean? So it's it's um it's just good to watch. You know, so it's just open footy and um yeah less penalty because there's less sl- slower play the ball. So it's actually much better to watch.
2: So that's really interesting. Inside is that something that you know is that bit of an exclusive we could give our listeners that you know round one next year that's something we can look out for of you know the tightness of jerseys on certain teams might be an indicator of how successful they're going to be that year and we can lay down some
0: bets early gamble responsibly of course. 100% like it's um yeah like it's it's a I've been trying to tell like I've been doing a bit of work for the Dragons and hopefully next year we'll get ours as tight obviously uh when I was with Freddie at Origin we got it done there and and at Penrith as well, but it's because, you know, Melbourne and uh, they've been the leaders that they've had it for a long time. And it's just, um, it's such a little thing, but it's such a big advantage. Like teams don't understand, you know, like uh, I get clips every week and show people like Tedesco, like like he's almost painted on, you know, and he just seems to get through tackles where they try and grab him and they can't, you know, so it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's it's one little thing that the top sides do, you, you know, you compare the top sides to the, you look at the Raiders jerseys, you know, the Dragons jerseys, like they're just that bit looser where they can be grabbed. And, you know, I can send you boys clips of some examples, what I'm talking about. When you see it, you just go, Oh my God, how obvious is that? But teams just, um, you know, it's, it's a big thing to get done. It's not, it's not just a five minute job. Like it's, it's quite a big exercise to get them fitted. Most teams have got three or four sets and three or four different types of jerseys. And so it's not easy to do, but it's um, once it's done, it's, it's a big advantage. And, um, once you see it, you, um, you know, on vision, you can see what I mean. It's just that the, the top sides have it and they're very hard to slow in the ruck. So they have very quick play the balls and that's what the whole game's about, you know. You know, it's
3: funny, isn't it? Because obviously you go back far enough, you watch an old game from the 90s, you can see that they're playing in jerseys that are so loose, they almost look like mumu's. But it's interesting what you're talking about there that, you know, that the great teams have them a bit tighter do you think that one day we'll just get to a team where like a Melbourne storm, we'll just go bugger it. We'll just tattoo the Jersey yeah. onto them. And that way you've got nothing to cling on to apart from a bit of belly air.
0: Well, that's, that's the bear. It was just the one piece, the one piece suit, just uh, the onesie, <laughs> you know, right, just zips up at the back. That's it. Way you go. But um, who knows? Like it's just, but it's, you know, teams are always looking for, you know, the smallest advantages. They spend hundreds of thousand dollars on, you know, supplements and diets and that. And, You know, something that's so simple like that that they don't do, it's a disadvantage in today's modern game, I believe, especially around the ruck. You know, like West Tigers, are another example, like loose jerseys. And they're always talking about Madge on that, win the ruck, win the ruck. Well, it's hard when you're defending blokes who've got really tight jerseys and you can't hold them down. Like, it's as simple as that, you know. So, um, yeah, it's like they, they play the top size, they get beaten and they, they do their ruck drills all week because they didn't win the ruck, and they come out against a team that has loose jerseys, and they win the ruck, and they think they've done the, they've done the job right the week before, you know, yeah, like yeah. practicing it. So, um, you know, like I said, that's that's just how my, my brain looks at football differently, and um, it's just, yeah, it's something that I think is a massive advantage for teams that have it.
2: With the news coming out of Brisbane overnight, that, you know, perhaps, you know, up in Brisbane, they've got loose jerseys equate to loose morals.
0: That's it. That could be one of the things too, you know. Yeah, Yeah, maybe the
2: you you are after training,
3: a reflection of character. So, as you said, Luke, there's a. You know, you spent a hundred thousand dollars on on supplements and the training schedule, and all you needed was a girdle. I mean, that's that's <laughs> yes. a, a lesson for all teams out there. Uh, but look, I wanted to get you a, a take as well on on next week. I like you to play a bit of um, fortune teller if you if you can. You don't have to dress up like an old lady and, and sort of don the crystal ball. You can just do it as as you are. Penrith, obviously, that was a brave performance against the Eels, but they're obviously playing the yardstick next week and. I guess my concern is, can they recover in time from a match which was a little less brutal than a civil war?
0: Yeah, I look. It's you know, semi-finals. Anything can happen. But you know, if I if I was to say who's going to win, I would say Melbourne quite easily. To be honest, I just think um, you know, a big semi-final. Uh, you know, that was zapping last week. I, I, I think Nathan Cleary's struggling. I watched him back play a few times. He's holding his shoulder. If you watch the last couple of tackles he attempted in the game, he he just couldn't hardly lift his arm up. Um, So I think they will be targeting him big time. If he plays, obviously he'll do whatever he can to play, but I can't see Melbourne um, losing that game. Um, Not at all. Yeah. And the other game, South Manly. Um, Yeah. That'll be a great game. Uh, I think that'll be really close, close, close game. Again, I think the week off is massive um, and it all depends on Tommy Turbo. If they can control him, South should win. But if, you know, Tommy plays like he can play and, has a field day then obviously Manly can win so really? South and Melbourne yeah make the grand final that's my tip yeah
2: I just want to know actually because you know you guys are both Roosters fans how um much does it hurt that you're actually cheering Manly on the weekend because that's got to hurt because of course you know you never want South to win anything.
0: Yeah oh, for me I just I just think Melbourne's you know it says to lose so it doesn't really matter who they play um you know whether South <laughs> get there or not um i think it's you know it's going to be very hard to beat the storm they're just so well drilled um and yeah, you know, they've done it before they've got experience and uh, i just think they'll, they'll win so um but, but it'd be good to see um yeah manly there for me obviously an ex, ex-manly player so um you know manly melbourne grand finals will always have a bit of spice so who knows Jeez, Luke, i tell you what, you, you've definitely got some allegiances. I know you've been up
3: with the, the Titans. You you did your best stuff with us. Let's let's be clear for the record. But you played for Manly. Now, you, now you're down at the Dragons. I'm getting yeah. a bit confused an identity crisis going
0: on here, <laughs> I played with Canberra and, and the Cowboys as well. So I've got, I've got plenty of teams I can barrack for now.
2: <laughs> because, uh, speaking of barracking for a different team or whatever, I, I'm curious your point of view. When, you, when you're a ref, when you're a player, do you... Do, people refs and players in general and i'm not trying to suggest bias here at all um do, do they you know you've grown up supporting a team as a kid presumably do you, do you think did you and do others you know still sort of hold a candle for their childhood team or does playing with a team and you know being intimately involved with a team sort of make that seem less important to you and you're you're more likely to go with who your mates play for or you know who you've got the history with
0: yeah, well, when I was uh, with the referees, I wasn't actually allowed to referee Roosters games. Well, the only game I, I was was they played the Cowboys because obviously I played with the Cowboys as well and and uh, and Manly. So there wasn't many games. I, I wasn't allowed left, wasn't allowed to referee any team that I played for unless it was another <laughs> against another team that I played for. If that makes sense, yeah. you know. So I was, there was no wow. bias. But look, it was different for me because people knew I played for certain teams. Whereas the referees themselves, they all have a team that they follow and all the refs know that. So when say like a Shane Hayne, he was a mad South supporter. So whenever he refereed a South game, all the referees were saying, Oh, you know, you look after South. And he'd actually go harder on them because he didn't want to have all the boys ribbing him thinking that he looked after the team he went for. So uh-huh. um, yeah, they, they all have a team that they go for. So, um, but yeah, at, at the end of the day, they get evaluated, by someone in the stand, so they can't—they can't, you know—in their mind manipulate a game for a team that they go for. There's no way they could get away with it. So, and plus the the rest of the rest would give it to them because they all know who each player, each referee's team is. So, that's just how it works in there. Luca, I, I hope uh, when you were refereeing the Cowboys Roosters
3: game that you let the Roosters smash them.
0: Yeah, it was funny. I, I did a um, Cowboys Raiders game, and um, Anthony Minaschira was having a hit up, and he got tackled, and he got lifted. You know, maybe beyond the horizontal and sort of got hit on his head. And then I saw saw him, I didn't penalise it. I sort of played on, you know, I thought it was a good tackle. And then saw him a couple of weeks later and he's going, "Dime!" And he goes, what about that lifting tackle in the Raiders game? And he said, I couldn't move my neck for three weeks after that. He goes, you're kidding. He was into me, you know, because I didn't penalise it. So yeah. <laughs> it was, um, it's always, you're always sort of, um, yeah, like it, it was hard because you, you sort of, you know, you had, for me, I had teammates and, you know, Players that I knew I'd played against and that, so it was it was quite difficult refereeing, especially when you had to make a call, and then the other side was blowing up, you know. So um, that's why I didn't. I probably didn't last that long there. I went straight into the video refereeing because then they couldn't say nothing to you on the field, so it was Do all you good. Think
2: that um a current one thing that I see people talking about a lot is the way the referees call all the players by their individual names now. Do you think that that has actually Increase the respect players have for refs or decrease it because it makes them seem like they're mates rather than an authority figure. Would you think they should just call them by their number or by, you know, by their surname? Or, you know, what what do you think is the best method for that?
0: Yeah, look, I know that gets talked a lot about going back to calling by the number, but Billy Harrigan brought it in because his reasoning was that if a player's offside, like if I'm offside in front of 10 meters and the referee says, Number 12, you're off. The player then has to go, number 12, oh, that's me. I'm offside. That For that split second, he won't understand that it's him. You know what I mean? Because Whereas if you just call the name, instantly you get a response from the player. So that's the reason why they call them by their names because it's about getting that immediate response to whatever you're asking to do. They don't have to think because the game's that quick. If you go 13, you're offside and number 13 – goes oh that's me but he's and then he just makes the tackle because he doesn't you know what i mean like it's just that split second where you get a chance to not blow a penalty that was the whole idea of it so yeah. whether you like the number calling or the name calling that's the reason why they they use the names not the numbers that is because you get an instant response uh for what you what you want and that to try and save obviously a penalty so that's the reason behind it so uh, nothing other than that if if the, if it wasn't that then i'm pretty sure they would just keep calling by the numbers yeah
3: cool. I guess the only drawback there, Luke, is if you uh, shout out Tupou you offside and, you know, seven or eight players, I think it's them. Yeah, or um, well, even if the there's,
0: a, there's three Sams in the team, and that does happen, like you'll call, you know, Sam or something and there's three Sams in the team, mm. um, they all shoot themselves and stop, you know, so, um, yeah, it's just, that's when you obviously have to use the full name Sam Walker or whatever, you know, so it's, it is it is confusing, but that's the that's the method behind it.
3: Diamond, look, we won't take up any more of your time, mate, because um, we've got another colleague we're going to meet up with now. But it's been a pleasure to chat with you. Before you go, though, the most important prediction of them all, not who will be, who should be, the halftime entertainment at the NRL Grand Final, in your opinion. And COVID is no object and money is no object. <laughs> who would Luke Diamond Phillips have
0: there? Who? I would, I would have Jelly Bean Jam. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them. No. They are a cover band. I heard when I was 18, before I was even playing football, I thought they were unreal. And then I found out later on that they're massive Roosters fans and they follow me on Twitter. And um, I so too, I'll pick because I love them. So good. For the record, mine's Meatloaf. What's yours, media? Oh,
2: mine, if I'm being honest, mine's Akadaka. Or if we're going even more unrealistic, let's um, bring the Dead Beatles back to life and have them on.
0: ABBA have got some thing holograms. now where they're touring in in, in yeah, holograms, something like that. We could bring back yeah. the Beatles that way.
3: That's bizarre. And, I mean, they look half dead too. So it's kind of along the lines of what Mario's talking about. But, <laughs> Diamond, you're a legend, man. I really appreciate you coming on, mate. And um, Anytime. You know, go, remember, the Chookies is always your number one. Please don't ever throw that away. Uh,
0: number Boy, one. Mate. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, that's all we've got time for, Tacklers. Until next time, just do what Fox League's news would do. Send an email stating in the title they ate chicken noodle soup for dinner. Then in the email, outline that they didn't, in fact, eat that noodle soup. They were going to, but then it was postponed, and they actually don't know when they will eat it or even if they will actually eat that chicken noodle soup. And then um, at the end of the email, write major click. Thanks, Tacklers, and farewell for the week.